Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, please visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. Well, good morning, church. Can I just say how happy it makes my heart to see people in the room? I'll probably say that for like a lot of weeks. Great that you're gathering. I want to just give a shout out to those of you who are joining us on live stream. Uh, say hello. Good morning to our deaf community. Uh, glad that you're with us. Uh, hello to our young adults ministry that's meeting over in Broadway Commons. Uh, hope you're having a great morning as well. And for those of you who are worshiping in this room, thank you. Also, thank you for your, your Gumby-like flexibility. Um, some of you have no idea who Gumby is. You don't know what you're missing out on. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we have we literally we have a couple thousand people who are joining us online. So thanks for flexing with us as we get folks on platform at time during worship with Cam. We're trying to give the best experience as possible for house churches. Uh, we, we love that house churches are still meeting. We know that some folks just... Don't feel comfortable yet gathering, um, and so we're just trying to do our very best to meet people where they're at and uh, and engage and worship our Christ together. So uh, thanks for flex- flexing with us, and if your first week at Salem Alliance was last week, it shows a great week to be with us, but today you're you're catching us uh, in kind of midstream, or towards the end of the stream in our series we've been do- doing on the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible, and... Uh, so we're about, we have four weeks left in this series, so if, if this is your, your second week here, welcome, glad you're here, and uh, we invite you to continue joining with us as we engage in this, uh, in this really important series we called Overcomer. So if you've got your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 19, uh, I'm going to read from that text here in a bit, but I'm just going to take you back in, in, in Trina's and my personal timeline here a little bit and take you back to September of 1984. I've been dating Trina Holsty for six months. My heart had been captured by her, and on a Friday night as we got into my Mazda B2000 white Sundowner truck, and we drove to our date night. We drove, we lived in the city of San Francisco. We were going to Simpson College. We drove across the Golden Gate Bridge and uh, pulled up to a spot on the, in the Sausalito Hills. We had packed some goodies for a dinner picnic, and the sun was setting behind us on the Pacific Ocean, and we were gazing at the city by the bay through the Golden Gate Bridge, and it was a gorgeous night. The sun slips below the horizon. The lights are starting to sparkle in the city. And on that night, I asked the most important question that I have asked in my life. I asked Trina Holsty, who would become Trina Fowler, if she would marry me. She thought about it. Um, and she said yes, and we were engaged, and it was an exciting moment in our lives together. We, we soaked in that moment, and uh, it was a memorable evening, and then we went back to the college, and we shared the good news with all of our friends, and they all celebrated with us, and Trina showed her ring that she had on her, her ring finger, and, uh, and we called parents, and we called friends, and we just let everyone know this was a moment of joy for us. 
And of course, it entered into this engagement season. A date was set. A bridal party was phoned. Invitations were sent out. And, um, and boy, this was exciting. And a wedding day came. And if you could stand another throwback picture, here's Trina and I on our wedding day. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, that, that, that's... Uh, I look a lot different. She looks the same, but I, I, look, I look a lot different. But uh, th- th- this was a great day of joy. I mean, again, music and vows and a reception. And, man, this was great and fun. And um, what, a, what a great July 20th, 1985. Um, and it's been 35-plus years together. And, and, and now we, we started doing life together. Here's a picture from our first year of marriage. We were living, we rented a parsonage from a church. Call it prophetic housing. I wasn't a pastor. I just had this empty house. And we lived in this, in this house together. And we began a new life of joy and enjoying one another as we move forward in our married life. Friends, I share all that with you. Because as we get to Revelation chapter 19, there's a tipping point in the story here. We've been been talking about some some fantastic moments of worship. We've been talking about letters that have been written, images of our Christ, and some pretty tough passages of judgment. But now we're at this tipping point, a tipping point in the story in which we start to get glimpses of, of, of heaven and glimpses of a future. And here's what I want you to hear today. Friends, we're engaged. We're engaged to a bridegroom and, and, and he's gotten down on his knee, and we have celebrated, and now we're in this moment, now we're anticipating his, his arrival in which there's a wedding day, and there's a party being planned in which all the stops are being pulled out. All the stops are being pulled. I mean, there, there's dinner plates, there's, there's goblets, there's a, a name tag with your name on it, and Jesus is going to celebrate with us, and we are going to enter into a new season of joy with him. This is Revelation 19 as it begins. Friends, we are engaged. Our bridegroom is returning. And what I want to do is I want to begin reading Revelation chapter 19 and let you just hear these words because what you're going to see right from the very beginning of Revelation chapter 19 is four hallelujahs, four hallelujahs because there's a wedding day coming. Let me just read some of the text for us so you can see this. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, after this I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, or some of your translations say, praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. Here's the first hallelujah. The first hallelujah is that injustice has been wiped from the face of the earth. The immorality, the injustice that has prevailed on this planet uh, through through the spirit of Babylon, it is gone, and the the persecution and the pressure that was on those who belong to the bridegroom, that is gone as well. Hallelujah. Justice has arrived. And then the second hallelujah, verse 3. Again, their voices rang out, hallelujah, praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. Hallelujah, justice has arrived. The second hallelujah is this justice is permanent, friends. Forever and ever, all injustice has been wiped from the face of the earth. It is permanent. Never again will we have to fear oppression. Never again will we have to to fear immorality. Never again will sin have its day. 
on our earth. It's gone. And then the third hallelujah, verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down and worshiped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And from the throne came a voice that said, praise our God, all his servants and all who fear him from the least to the greatest. Hallelujah, justice has arrived. Hallelujah, justice is permanent. And hallelujah, let's worship the one who's made it possible. God is on his throne. He has been reigning sovereign and he continues to be sovereign. Then we get to our fourth hallelujah. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of my time. Beginning in verse 6. Then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd or the roar of a mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Friends, this is God's holy word. Hallelujah. Justice has come. It's forever. It's permanent. We get to worship the one who sits on the throne. And you, I, we have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We are engaged. We have a bridegroom. And there are, there are implications to this. But first, let me just say this. I, I, I will never forget the first wedding that I performed as a pastor at the church I was at in Kelso, Washington. Uh, you know, wedding rehearsal takes place, and right away I knew something was off. Uh, the, the bride and the mother of the bride were not getting along. The, there, was, there was tension in that relationship. And, and then the mother of the bride and the mother of the groom got into a verbal altercation right in the middle of the rehearsal. It was so intense, this altercation and the words spoken were so intense that an ambulance had to be called because the mother of the bride had a nervous breakdown. The next day, as I am performing this wedding ceremony, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. It was palpable. I walked away from that wedding going, I don't know if I want to do another one of these. Now, friend, I don't know, as we talk about the metaphor of a wedding from Revelation chapter 19, I don't know what emotions arise in you. You see, some of you in the room have participated in a, in a wedding, and vows were spoken to you, and then those vows were broken. And here we are talking about a wedding and a wedding feast, and pain begins to resurface in your life. Or maybe you're here today and you and your spouse are separated and there's some some emotion that's beginning to bubble to the surface. Or or maybe you're you're single and perhaps you're just completely happy to be single but maybe you're single and you're longing for a wedding day and it just never has arrived and disappointment begins to rise to the surface. Or perhaps you're married and and yes, marriage just has its ups and downs but it's it's been a season of joy in your life. Or maybe you were married and your spouse has passed away and now you are in a season of sorrow. 
Friends, I, I don't know what emotions rise to the surface as we talk about wedding feasts and engagement and wedding days, but can I just say this to you? There is a bridegroom who is perfect and true, and his name is faithful, and he keeps his vows. And he is going to return, and he is going to be the perfect bridegroom to his bride. And friends, we are engaged, and he can't wait to come back and bring us to him. And there is a party that is planned in which all the stops have been pulled out to make it as memorable as possible. And I want to talk today about the implications of this reality I want to just give us just four implications and just ask some questions along the way. And hopefully, maybe the Spirit of God will, will stop at one of those and will, will, will prompt you. And I'm just say, as the Spirit of God grabs your attention, feel free to hit the pause button and mute me. Just, just lean into that. But here, here's the first implication, and it might just seem painfully obvious. It simply means we are deeply loved. We're engaged to the bridegroom. It means that, that your God, your Christ, your Messiah, your Jesus deeply loves you. He is enthralled with you. Go back with me to 1984. Before I get down on my knee there in the Sausalito Hills, I'm, I'm going to a mall. I don't know why I remember these details, but I remember the name of the mall. Ceremony Mall in, in San Francisco. I go to the Ceremony Mall, and I remember the jeweler that I go to. I don't know if it's because I paid so much money for a ring, if it was uh, that, or I don't know why I remember this. But I remember going to these, this jeweler, and I remember... Looking at rings, and you know what? I wasn't going to be cheap. I was going to make sure that I, I, everything I had, I was pushing out onto the counter. I spared no expense. I didn't have a lot of money, but what I did have, I was pushing it all for because I wanted, I wanted the, the brightest diamond. I wanted gold that glistened. I wanted when, when Trina, when I, that ring went on her finger, I wanted her to, to just sense that, man, I... I spared no expense to, to just express my love to her by giving her a ring. Can I just say to you that just as I was deeply in love with this woman that I was going to ask to marry me, that your Christ is deeply in love with you. Friends, go back a couple weeks to Holy Week. There is a Christ who spared no expense so that he could be in relationship with you. He gave it all. He pushed everything he had out onto the counter he gave his life. He left the glory of heaven and took on flesh, Philippians chapter 2. Can I just say, we just read quickly over that. That's a significant downgrade for Jesus. To leave the glory of heaven, to leave perfection and status and position and to take on flesh and to live in obscurity for 30 years, no one even knowing who he is. But then to go to a cross, to be insulted, to be mocked, be betrayed, be arrested, be executed. All so that he could spare no expense, so that you might belong to him, so that he could say to you, I chose you. You are deeply loved. And if you can remember when uh, our Pastor Kari Monarchik preached uh, from Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Just listen to these statements of love to the churches. To Smyrna, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich, and I will give you the crown of life. To Sardis, I will announce before my Father and his angels that you are mine. To Philadelphia, you are the ones I love. I will protect you. To Laodicea, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent 
and turn from your indifference. You are a deeply loved people. You are engaged. There is a bridegroom whose heart is filled with passion for you. And he loves you. And here's my question to you this morning. Do you believe that you are deeply loved? Maybe you're sitting in a house church today and you've bought into the life in the very pit of hell that your ability to be loved is dependent on your performance here on earth. Friends, can we just say to one another that the only performance that we should have our eyes on is the performance that Jesus Christ performed for us when he went to the cross and he said, it is finished. Your sin, your shame, your guilt has been paid for and your Christ loves you. Do you believe it? You are loved, deeply loved. And the second implication that comes from our engagement to the bridegroom is is simply this. Then, if we are truly engaged, it means the fundamental issue of discipleship is loyalty. You see, when I ask Trina to to marry me, my full devotion is going to her. And in turn, her full devotion is coming to me. And... There's no room for a divided heart in this. Years ago, actually it was my first year here at Salem Alliance, I, uh, I got a call to go visit a young couple recently married. And um, I went to their home one evening. This was a young couple who got engaged, went through a fantastic engagement season, of anticipation. A wedding day took place and it was a day of celebration and wedding vows were spoken and a honeymoon was planned and they went on their honeymoon. But as they were on their honeymoon, the groom had an affair. And here I was sitting in their living room and the house, the house was full of sorrow and sadness And the bride, her heart was just not broken. It it was crushed. It was devastated. And the emotions were just, it was all prevalent. And the disappointment, and there aren't even words to describe the difficulty of that moment. Friends, if we are engaged and if we are deeply loved, then we must understand that sin is worse than we could ever think. This is why the scriptures, when they talk about giving our, us giving our hearts to idols or giving our hearts to things that, that are other than Christ, that God actually calls it spiritual adultery. The metaphor of marriage just runs through the entire scriptures. Sin is worse than we thought. Well, sin can be redeemed. Can I just say to you, maybe some of you in this room, maybe, maybe in your marriage you made some mistakes in the past. Maybe you're in another marriage. Can I just say to you, there is grace that your God can redeem, that, that when we make mistakes and when we go places we know we shouldn't have gone, that there is a God who actually lifts that burden from us and refreshes and restores and says, you are pure again. Yes, that is possible. We cannot forget That the primary issue when we're engaged is a call to loyalty. Again, let's go to Revelations chapters 2 and 3 and hear this in the letters to the churches. To Ephesus, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Jesus is calling out disloyalty. 
To Pergamum, you tolerate those whose teaching teaches you to sin. To Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. To, to Laodicea, you're lukewarm. If you remember that letter, I wish you were hot. I wish you were cold. You're, you're, you're neither. It's tepidness. Friends, we're engaged. There is a bridegroom who spared no expense to be in relationship with us. There is a party that is planned. Our Christ is returning, and he is going to pull out all the stops for us. And in the meantime, as we wait for that wedding feast, it is a call to loyalty of hearts that are true to him. So let's just ask the question. Are you having an affair? I, I, I know that's a bit of a blunt question, but it's intentional. Is your heart going to someone else? Oh, remember the words of Jesus. He said, you can't have two masters. You can't love money and God. Remember the, the, the words of John the Apostle in 1 John. You can't be in love with the world and love God. It's impossible. You can't, you can't do that. You, 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 can't have, you can't have two spouses. It's, it's not going to work. Paul, in Romans chapters 12, he, he says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into a mold. Don't adopt the customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, it's a call to loyalty because we're engaged to a bridegroom who deeply loves us. And as we wait for his return, we give our hearts to him and him alone, which then leads to the third implication. Let me bounce to this one. It means that we must be ready for the bridegroom. Let me explain this a little bit because, you know, we have our wedding customs. If you travel the world or if you've been in different cultures, you know that, that a lot of cultures have a different way of doing, doing a, a wedding. And you've got to go back to first century Palestine to understand what's happening here. Because in first century Palestine, if a young man falls in love with a young woman or if a family arranges a marriage, what will typically happen is that the... The groom-to-be will sit down with the father of the bride, and they will, they will arrange a, a dowry, a bride price that will be paid for this, this marriage. Uh, a price will, will be paid, and that, that money, by the way, is often a big portion that is given to the bride. It will be security for her because life expectancies in those days aren't what they are today. A spouse could die young, and so there needs to be some savings to fall back on. And, and, uh, and, and by the way, this is, if you look at Luke chapter 15 and that woman who's lost a coin, that's probably a, a coin from the, what she will wear as part of her headdress, the, the bride price. The groom agrees to a covenant with the father and then a cup of wine is there and, and the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be and the parents will be there and the bride and the groom will drink the cup. This is the betrothal process and they will say, this is the cup of the new covenant. Sound familiar? The words Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. And then the groom will say to the bride-to-be, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he will go to his father's house and he will build an addition. And there is no date set. There is no invitations set out per se because it will be a complete surprise for the bride. It's probably 10 to 14 months before the bridegroom will return. The bride has no idea when that day is going to take place. It's sort of like this anticipation that's building for a wedding day, except you don't know when the wedding day is. 
It's like children being told that Christmas is coming and they're seeing presents, yet they don't know what day Christmas is. There's no countdown. There's no advent calendar that tells you there's 10 days left or nine days left. You don't know. It's going to be a complete surprise. It's like those videos you watch where, you know, folks are coming home after serving in the military. You've got a husband returning or a wife returning or you've got a son returning or a brother returning and, and the surprise of, uh, arrival and people are blown away. And just think about the emotions that, that arise in those moments. In fact, I've carved out a little 30, 45-second video just so you can kind of experience. Watch this video and just feel the emotions of this reunion between someone who has gone away and who's coming home. my favorite. Mom surprised by a son who's coming home after serving the Navy and friends. The emotion at that moment, intense, just beautiful, tears, joy, shouts of joy. It's, it's someone who just can't wait to be reunited with someone who's far away. Friends, here's the good news. We are engaged there is a Christ who deeply loves you. And he has gone to his father's house to prepare additions for all of us who are in relationship with him. And he's coming back. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are going to be surprised. And there will be cries of joy when he comes. Because why? Because justice has finally arrived and it's permanent. And we will see God and we will worship him. And there will be a wedding feast for all who prepared themselves and who are ready. I mean, listen to some of the wedding gifts that are captured in Revelations chapter 2 and 3. To Ephesus, to everyone who overcomes, I will give the fruit from the tree of life. To Thyatira, to the victorious, I will give them the morning star. To Sardis, the overcomers' names will never be erased from the book of life. To Philadelphia, to everyone who overcomes, they will be citizens in my city, the city of my God. The crown of life, names never being erased, citizenship. My friends, we are engaged and our Christ is returning and we are called to be ready. We are deeply loved. It's a call to loyalty. It's a call to readiness. And again, the question must be asked, are you looking forward to seeing Jesus? I mean, is it going to be like that mom? Like, ah! Jesus photobombing your picture and realizing he's back. Or is it going to be, uh-oh. I mean, are you, are, are you ready? Because this is what's being proclaimed to us in Revelation chapter 19. <laughs> Friends, we are engaged. A party's planned, a Christ is returning, and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And this is why the hallelujahs ring from the pages in Revelation chapter 19. One final one. It means that we're called to simplicity. 
See, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Maybe it's in friendship. Maybe it's being married. But you start out and, man, you just, you will do anything to be with the person that you love. I mean, you will, you'll skip meals. You'll, 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 you'll skip classes. You'll, you'll go without sleep so that you can be with the person that you love. But then over time, these encumbrances, these roadblocks begin to take place and you find yourself drifting. The relationship wasn't quite what it was. Let me take you back in time to the 1980s when Tree and I were married. We began to have children and some of you know that I worked at United Parcel Service and this is me, I'm 24 years old, long time ago, working for UPS. You know, working at UPS was a good experience for me. I mean, it was from all the outside looking in, it was success, promotion, then promotion, then promotion, then promotion, and then promotion. But one day I'm at work, and as I am given new responsibilities, I begin to realize, you know, I'm going to work at 5 in the morning, and I'm getting home at 8 in the morning, 8 at night. 5 in the morning, 8 at night, I'm going to work, and I start to play out the trajectory of my work and the impact it might have on my marriage down the road and my relationship with my children. And I came home from work one day and I told Trina as I walked in the house, I'm quitting my job. She started crying, not because she was upset, but because she had been praying for three months that I would quit my job. Because she was seeing it as well, but she didn't want to be the one to interrupt a career so she trusted God that he would capture my heart on this as well, and he did. I quit my job thinking about the impact it was having on my marriage and my future relationships with my, my, my kids, not because I had another job. I just walked away from it. Because something in me, and I actually told my boss this, that something in me is I, I wanted to have at least two meals a day with my family. And by God's grace, as I got my next job, as I was in charge of operations in a manufacturing plant, I actually had three meals a day with my family. And the whole purpose was behind it was I wanted to move from quantity in life to quality in life. I, I, I was married. I am married. And I want to nurture and foster that love. It's a call to simplicity, friends. And here's the interesting thing in our relationship with Jesus. This is why Ephesus is, re, is called to return to its first love. <laughs> because we drift and things get in the way. Or to Sardis, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Or to Philadelphia, you have a little strength that you do obey me and do not deny me. To Laodicea, you say you're rich and have everything you want. Yet you are poor. My friends, we are engaged there is a bridegroom who is returning. He's making room for us in his father's house. 
We don't know the day or the hour, but he is going to return and he is going to take us to a wedding feast. And at that wedding feast, there is a table set. There are chairs. There, is, there are plates. There are name tags. There are goblets. It's going to be a party like no other. And it's just not one night. And one night. It's, it's, a, it's, it's days of, of, of celebration that finally the wedding feast of a lamb is here and we're reunited with the one we call our Christ, our Jesus. And we are deeply loved And we enter into this season of loyalty and we prepare ourselves and we are ready and we are called to simplicity to keep our hearts hot for him. So may I ask one more question? What do you need to say no to in order to say yes to the one who deeply loves you? What is it that you must say no to. Maybe it is a radical change in how you're doing life. Maybe it's just less TV. Maybe it's getting up a little bit earlier. Maybe it's engaging in, in a house church or a Bible study house church or maybe it's leaning into community. Maybe it's Spending more regular time in the upper room over at Broadway Commons and pouring out your heart to God and asking him to relight the flame. What do you need to say no to in order that you might say yes to the one who deeply loves you? Can I just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes and let's just respond to Holy Spirit in this moment. Let me just put out a question for you where you can simply ask him, Jesus, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to us today, Lord? What are the whispers that you would speak to us individually and what are you saying to us collectively as your bride? Lord, to some who find themselves in the dry rut of duty and routine, would you stoke new fires of devotion? Would you now just Speak to how simplicity can return to the relationship. Would anticipation rise, Lord, and eyes be lifted to a day of your return? Whatever you are saying to us, Lord, it just blows us away that we are deeply loved. It's so easy to focus on our failures. Thank you for your forgiveness. Empower us by your spirit to be loyal, to be ready. And Lord, what a day it will be. We've already sung it. Shouts of acclamation as our Christ appears. May it be so, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. 
Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit at SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.